Hey everyone, and welcome to The Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. Last week, we released our first live episode about the EMEA Projectionist Workshop. Our guest this week, Peter Flynn, was a speaker at that workshop. His most recent work, The Dying of the Light, archives the craft of human film projection and its decline over the last century. As a film historian, documentarian, and film educator, he gave us some great insight into the future of film. Let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Peter. Hey, everybody. In the Kodakery today, we have uh, documentarian and educator Peter Flynn. Um, we, Megan and I were lucky enough to hear Peter's talk at the EMEA Projection Workshop last week in Austin, Texas, about his documentary, The Dying of the Light. And it was, it was an excellent talk and a very emotional for a lot of the people who were, who were there watching and listening about uh, film projection and kind of what's happened to it over time. And we want to talk to Peter about that, but we have a lot of other things we want to talk about as well. So, Peter, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. So, Peter, let's, let's, before we jump into the Dying of the Light and we talk about kind of your, your current projects, let's go back a little bit to kind of your creative beginnings. Um, so where, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Dublin, from Ireland. So I grew up uh, in a small suburb of uh, Dublin City, the metropolis of Ireland. What was the experience of film like when you grew up in Dublin? Any different than, say, America or just... just yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I, well, obviously I wasn't here at the time, so I can't really make that comparison. But, you know, there was certainly enough remnants of that older, more glorious, glamorous era of movie presentation in the center of Dublin when I started going in the 70s and, and into the 80s. We still had some of the larger single-screen theaters that sat many hundreds of people with large screen and uh, and then, of course, you know, there was also those theaters that had been boxed up and broken down into multiple screens or former single screen theaters that had been broken up. Uh, so you had you had the old and the new kind of side by side. So you were always aware that uh, there was a there was a better day. There was, you know, right. there, were, there were better years in the past for film presentation. And you got a little wisp of that, you know, and obviously coming from, you know, my generation, those blockbusters of the late 70s, Superman and Star Wars, those were seen on the big screen and yes. old movie houses, and, and that was something special. I was actually going to ask that question. What was the first film you remember seeing in a theater? I think like a lot of people, it was a Disney film, and mm-hmm. uh, it was Bambi. Yeah. In the in the old Ambassador Theater, which is no longer a movie theater, right on O'Connell Street in the center of in the center of the city, uh, I saw Bambi, and uh, shortly after that, at the age of five, I saw Star Wars at the same theater, uh, and and Superman and Close Encounters, all it. So those were kind of my my primal cinematic moments. You are and speaking they, they my language. Yeah, they definitely left a huge impression on me. Well, was it going to the theater that that made you want to become a filmmaker? What what sort of sparked that interest in you? I mean, I think so, but I, I never set out to be a, a filmmaker. That that just kind of happened over the years. I was always interested and fascinated by film history, mm. um, and that's what I studied in in, in college, and, and that's what I, I became a film teacher, and, and I suppose, for want of a better term, a film historian. And so that was always my, my interest in 
in kind of you know looking back um, through the years at that development uh, of of the medium, and then just gradually uh, I moved from that into filmmaking simply because I I didn't I I didn't want to write about film I wanted to make Show films it. about yeah. film right right uh, and it just seemed odd that you would spend so much time and energy writing about films and writing about images when you could simply show those images so that's it's very true yeah Yeah. that's that's how that so i was never i was never taught how to be a filmmaker i don't know if that shows in my work it might do no way uh (laughs) it was just something i kind of you know picked up and taught myself that's cool so you you have your you have your doctorate is that correct from amherst uh that's correct from from umass amherst in what in film history in well technically i think in if i remember correctly in communication studies but okay. i was i was always in, interested in in film and very little else so uh, whatever i picked up there was related to film and only film so what led you to kind of your 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 first documentary blazing the trail the O'Kalem documentary well that was going to be a book mm. that was a book uh, about early representations of Ireland and the Irish in American cinema. Even that that alone sounds boring, doesn't it? <laughs> but there was this there was this great New York company, the Calum Film Company, uh, and they were based uh uh in, in Manhattan. And in nineteen ten, when most of the New York companies were going out west to Hollywood, Calum went in the opposite direction and they went to Ireland and they started making films there every summer. And their thinking was, you, we have this huge immigrant and immigrant Irish population in America. Let's make films that reflect uh, their memories of the, of the old country and their experiences emigrating to America. So they made a host of very unusual and very beautiful films in the southwest of Ireland, in and around Kerry and Killarney, uh, that were kind of forgotten. And I think forgotten in many ways because... You know, everything moved to Hollywood, and the story of American film became the, the the building up of Hollywood. And these guys, going in the opposite direction, were were kind of forgotten. And um, I thought it was a lovely story, and I thought the filmmakers involved, uh, director Sidney Alcott and centrist screenwriter and, and actress uh, Jean Gontier, were just fabulous characters. And and it was just a wonderful little pocket of early film history that uh that i wanted to tell and and share and so rather than it being a book it became a film and that was it i was kind of hooked on on filmmaking are, are any of the ti- those titles out there still where people could see them i mean yeah there are quite a few we, we ended up producing uh, a dvd collection with the irish film archive called the the O'Kalem collection and uh, we've got quite a few films from 1910 to 1915 that were shot in Ireland uh, um, uh, on the boat between Ireland and the U.S. in the Atlantic and and, wow. and in New York, where many of the immigrants arrived. Uh, and they're, they're wonderful films, lovely films. Excellent. I'd love to include a link to the, uh, the DVD collection in the show oh, notes sure. for, so people who are interested. Yeah. So it sounds like a fascinating little pocket of, of cinema history that you uncovered it, there. It, really is you know long before john ford was making films like the quiet man these guys were were doing telling quite similar stories and their images of of rural ireland in 1910 are are really very authentic and you get a sense of what life was like in ireland at that at that time and what were they predominantly shooting with 
they were shooting uh, obviously 35 millimeter uh, film, nitrate film stock. And funny you should mention that because just last week I was, uh, or earlier this week, I was shooting with uh, uh, a gentleman on a, on a new film called Rick Malcames, a third generation cinematographer whose grandfather and father collected film cameras. And there in his collection is the original Calum camera that was taken to Ireland oh, and wow. subsequently to Israel, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Egypt and the Holy Land uh, for one of the earliest biblical epics, a film called From the Manger to the Cross, which Calum shot in 1912. And there in his barn in Connecticut is that camera, beautiful uh, uh, camera, which I managed to uh, handle the other day, which was very exciting for me. I bet. Yeah. So have you always, like in terms of filmmaking, it sounds like through almost the uh, the historical work you were trying to do, the writing and those things, that's what led you to filmmaking. And, yeah. and documentary uh, documentary filmmaking is something that I, I always am really interested in. So what is it about that form of storytelling that's drawn you back to it again? I mean, you, you just, you did the first one, you did Dying of the Light. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose given my... <laughs> unfortunate academic background that's how my mind works you know <laughs> but having you know having said that i don't think uh, there is anything in in the documentary form that is less expressive or less challenging or less poetic than you can find in the narrative form of of filmmaking so i don't feel at a loss or or unchallenged uh uh, by working in in the documentary form, I find it I find it very expressive uh, uh, and very exciting to work in. It's also, uh, you know, it's relatively inexpensive, right. and you can you know you can kind of put away in these projects on your on your own. You don't have to deal with other artists like actors, for instance, or 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 cinematographers or or composers. You can just kind of, you know, work away in your in your own little world on your own, and and I find that very appealing too. We talked to, uh, uh, we we were fortunate enough to interview Ken Burns for his yeah. Jackie Robinson documentary, and I, I mean, one of the things that I think you are doing narrative storytelling. The difference is is that uh, where they're working from a script, you're working from a history book, and then those pieces are there, the story's there. Yeah, it's just a different type of assembling. Like, how do you? Does the story sometimes lead you? Or, I mean, how do you sort of uncover the narrative, like with Dying yeah. of the Light and some of these things? Yeah, I mean, Blazing the Trail was, was very much a scripted documentary. It was very heavily narrated. And, and I think it needed to be because, you know, the original voices weren't around any, any longer. Um, it was also a very clear narrative arc. And, and, and so that, that was a film that, once the research was done, was was kind of written very, very tightly and controlled very tightly. Um, not so with Dying of the Light. That was much more freeform. And you you kind of, you enter with an idea and you have to be married to that idea to a large extent because it gives you your focus and, and your voice and your themes. But then you have to be uh, elastic enough to, to kind of roll with with the different voices that come in and often contradictory voices and voices that contradict you and right. what you want to say. And so you have to, you know, you step back and you become a conductor of all these different um, voices uh, in a sense. Yeah. And 
I, I think all the contradictions kind of come to a head toward the end of of the dying of the light when you have these various different reactions to what digital is mm-hmm. and what it means and um and and that was when I found the documentary to be the most interesting right. when it's slightly out of your control mm-hmm. you know yeah. right right it's a very important role that that a documentarian plays you know yeah. just letting letting people speak and documenting it, that you know right yeah. and and trying to find that right balance yeah. and and give everybody their due their say space, and yeah. uh yeah it's tricky and of course you'll always uh, you know you're not always going to get it right Right, of course, in the end of the day, you get to edit it. Yeah, right. (laughs) And reassert yourself and your prejudices and your shortcomings and Mm short-sightedness all kind of, you know, (laughs) inform the final edit. Right. Well, probably you you notice those and and, uh, the audience doesn't. Well, let's hope not. (laughs) You know, that's the hope. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now that we've sort of broken into the the dying of the light, I'm interested to learn. Obviously, it makes sense. You're a film historian and and the sort of trailing off of projectionists makes sense. But what was the real catalyst for you to begin creating that piece? Well, I, you know, over the years... I'd met and had worked with, and as a programmer, various projectionists, and so you get to know these these characters, and you sit in their booths, and you 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 talk about films with them, and you get a sense of what their life was and their career. And I very quickly realized that there was this whole other history to 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 film that I knew nothing about, and very few other people knew anything about because this was a hidden history, mm-hmm. the practice and craft the history and the evolution of film handling and film projection in that booth was by necessity hidden away from the audience. And so we were encouraged not to pay any attention to, uh, to what was going on in that booth. And when it came to that digital transition, uh, I was, uh, I was kind of, I was very aware of what stood to be lost so much of this 120-year history uh, was in danger of being lost and forgotten because it was never paid any attention to. So that was was the impetus behind the film, was to tell this history, uh, capture these these voices uh, and some something of the character of the people who worked in the booth before they were gone. And there was a real sense of urgency with that. I started making it in, in 2011, and that was that was the kind of the heady days of the transition over, and uh, there was a great deal of fear and and uh, anxiety over what was happening uh, and what it would mean for careers in in the booth, and a great sense of a lot was going to be lost yeah. with this transition. So that was the impetus be- behind making the film. But one of the things I think people maybe don't understand as much anymore is how hands-on projection was. I mean, and now it's all digital. It's it's essentially you're loading files into a computer and you're projecting them onto a screen, um, where then there was so much uh, hand processing, hand ha- uh, handling of physical reels of film, focusing different lenses had to be put on the projectors. Um, that That is really one of the crafts that uh, I think you're totally right, is in danger of being lost. And one of the yeah. things that we were talking about in Austin just last week. 
Yeah, and, and, and it is. It's that, that hands-on um, aspect to the job that most attracted me to the, to the subject matter. And the, 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 the many, many ways in which you invested yourself into the job, taking care of the projectors, um, taking care of the film, ensuring uh, uh, the changeover of the reels and that the show ran smoothly, um, spending eight hours a day in a booth, maybe seven days a week, working nights and working weekends and holidays. Mm-hmm. It was a job that I think for many it was impossible not to uh, fall in love with and, and become deeply, deeply attached to and personally invested in, mm-hmm. um, which was the case for so many of the of the people I met. They had, you know, they had they had spent the best years of their lives in the booth. And some resented it. You know, some felt that they had they had missed out on 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 other things. Uh, but for many, those were years very well spent and 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 years they look back on with great fondness. So, um, for me, that that level of investment and that level that that connection that you have to to the job is is one of the unique aspects of that of that career and that craft and the idea of the craft you know of of something that needs to be done well and a right way to do things and something that needs to be taught it's not necessarily intuitive you pass it on to a new generation i find that very lovely yeah. and and i think that was maybe the heart of the, of this film was to kind of capture something of that yeah and then you know here you are showing and talking about this film that's the dying of the light at a projectionist workshop <laughs> with a lot of young people right, at it, yeah. you know? And so what what was that experience like? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the Irish in me too, you know? There's a certain uh, melancholy uh, that I invest in into these projects. Uh, and that certainly comes through in the film. But I, you know, Something has died, and something has 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 faded away, and and I think it's it's what we've just been talking about. It's that culture and that craft of life in the projection booth, and I don't necessarily think that it is a negative thing to say that that is gone. I do think it's a necessary thing to acknowledge it, yeah, uh, and to kind of move on. Uh, you know, I, I kind of realized this early in the editing stage that this film was being structured like a like a funeral or a wake an irish wake and i'm at the age where i've been to far too many wakes in the last several years and so that was the unconscious structuring of the film and that is that you go in you recognize that something is dying that it's gone or about to be forgotten and you Reminisce. Reminisce (laughs) and recollect. And those reminiscences and recollections are often tinged with humor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of that process, the end of the night as the sun comes up, you shake hands and you you walk off and a new day starts. Right. And that's kind of how the film ends very purposefully with an older projectionist telling a younger projectionist, okay, you got to move on now. Right. Um, So... Uh, and I think that was that that, that is necessary. And you know, as as we're now at this moment of transition, and it's really a moment of reinvention of film practice in many ways. At least for me, at least that's that's how I see it. And I think reinvention requires 
an acknowledgement and a knowledge and an appreciation of what went before sure. without being locked into it, mm-hmm. um, coupled with this desire to move forward and embrace new technologies and new practices. But I don't think you can move forward without acknowledging and understanding what went before you. And I think that is the, that is the, the, the tone of the film, at least the function of the film. Now, kind of, you've, you've made the film, and, and we've gone through the wake, if you will. Yeah. Um, but there, to, to us, anyway, and I'm curious if you feel this way or have seen this, there's a little bit of a rebirth. There's a, oh, a, yeah. a reemergence of film again yeah. in these film practices. And, yeah, and it's it's a really it's something that is that really is 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 interesting me, uh, um, and that is the fact that right now the future of film, so much of the future of film handling, resides in reclaiming past practices. An archive will not, in in all likelihood, lend loan out a film to uh, a, a, a theater. Uh, unless they promise to handle the film in the way in which film was handled 50, 60 years ago. That is, without putting it on a platter, uh, changing from one reel to the next, the the, the changeover system using two projectors. Um, That really, in order to move forward with film, we must reclaim all these past practices of handling film because those were the proper practices. Right. So I find that fascinating. But at the same measure, you, you know, there's simply so much that we cannot replicate and cannot redo. You may very well be able to see a 35 mil print of, let's say, Casablanca at, at a movie theater. Uh, but that's not the authentic experience. The authentic experience would be to see Casablanca on nitrate film stock, mm. projected using carbon arc light and uh, optics and a lens system vastly inferior to what we have today. Uh, and you might also throw in a movie theater with, by today's standards, undersized, hard, uncomfortable seats right. and uh, an air filled with cigarette smoke. <laughs> Right? You cannot reclaim that. And I don't think many people would, quite frankly. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, you, you take from the past, but not wholesale. And you have to uh, in, uh, invest it in practices that are relevant t- today and that will be in the future. And yeah. that's reinvention. Yeah. And I, I think film is being reinvented. And pr- the role of the projectionist is being reinvented. Uh, and I find that very exciting. And, and one of the things to me that was evident from the EMEA um, workshop is, uh, and something that was reiterated again and again and again, is that a projectionist is now by necessity a carer of film, a preservationist of film. Right. That, and so they have to be mindful of, of the past yeah. and of past practices. They're essentially a film historian in a They're way. They're a film yeah. historian, yes, in absolutely, the, yeah. and need that knowledge. Mm-hmm. But they can't, you, 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 you can't solely focus on the past, and you, you have to invest that with new technologies and, and an understanding of, of what will make film relevant today and in the future. And I don't quite know what the answer to that is yet, but it's very exciting. Yeah, I it's think a very exciting moment. Going through the, yeah. the right 
natural process to get to yeah. what's right. next. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think a place like in the future, maybe we look back at, an, at a place like the Alamo Draft House and say that's a model for that, that has helped film projection and exhibition grow because they're 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 showing digital but then they're also showing film and they're right. creating an opportunity for people to really embrace and experience uh exhibition on film Absolutely, both yeah. new and and revival pictures so i mean yeah. i think it's a a really like having spent several days in the draft house in austin um and there's not there's nothing quite like it i mean it's a no. really cool model and i think maybe that is part of what the future is is it's it's an it's an Inclusive. and world, not yeah. an or world. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I I, I mean I, I couldn't agree more with you. And and I had never been to an an Alamo draft house before, and it took it, it took a few moments for me to really figure out what it is. And then I thought, yeah, this is this is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and n- you know, in a sense, one way to look at it is that film has been liberated. It's been unshackled from the responsibility of being the primary format for mainstream commercial cinema presentation mm-hmm. and and that's liberating in a way because now what can it be what can it do yeah right um that's a really interesting point mm-hmm. yeah and you're on the pulse of new filmmakers and new film historians because of your uh the fact that you teach at emerson college right yeah what yeah. what are you teaching there I teach documentary production I teach various aspects of of digital media production and okay. film history. Um, what What's the... It's probably hard to sum up, but maybe what's the interest level like, I mean, are, in regard to film and digital? Well, um, I mean, I, I, I think students love it. Okay, yeah. And, and rightfully so. More and of what we're saying, is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the format that they grew up with, mm-hmm. and it's the format that they will predominantly work with. Um and so, you know, I, I, I frequently say to my students, beware of the nostalgia of your instructors. Mm, uh, and not, not to say that you should tune it out, but, you know, again, it's, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's, it's important to acknowledge the past, but not to necessarily live in it. Uh, and you can learn from it, but you have to move forward. And so for, for my students, uh, the focus should be primarily on the future. That's and very not smart. the yeah. past. Mm-hmm. And the past should only be acknowledged insofar as it can help you move into the future. Um, so, yeah, I do. I tell them, beware of the, the, the false, uh, I shouldn't say false nostalgia, but beware of the nostalgia of uh, older generations um, yeah. uh, for, for, for film. That said, we teach we we teach a lot of film production here at at Emerson 16 millimeter production and uh you see quite a few students uh um embracing it and the practices of it not out of any sense of nostalgia right. or this argument that film is better than digital just creative preference right. just a creative preference a different process right i i always i compare it a lot to uh like, like I, I do a lot of, I actually teach at RIT myself, a, a college here in Rochester, and, and oh, yeah. uh, I do a lot of art, and it, film versus digital is oil paint versus watercolor. Exactly. It's a creative yeah. expression. It's a choice that's made by an artist. Both absolutely. choices are good. Yeah. It's just a matter of what you want to get across. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of the future, um, what, what do you see as next now that you've closed the, um, closed the door on the dying of the light? Do you have anything else in the works? 
I, I don't think the door is closed. I think the, the door is slightly ajar mm. and I'm standing on a bucket looking in the window. Mm. Uh, so, no, I'm still kind of... Uh, I, I don't think that story is completely done yet. Mm. Uh, um, I think there's kind of two sides to to that story. There's um, y- y- what is being lost. And I think that's that's what the dying of the light is about, is what are we losing and... Um, let's acknowledge that. And But the other side of the coin and the other side of the issue is what's being saved? Yeah. And and what are we carrying forward? And what are we going to do with that? And how do we reinvent film for the digital age? And that's kind of what's interesting me now. Where that goes, I have no idea. But um, uh, I, I think for me, that seems to be the next logical step to look at how we're reinventing um, a film. Yeah, That sounds like a really exciting project that uh, we would love to see, for sure. Um, and and uh, we've, like, for us at Kodak, I mean, we have just, in the, especially the last few years, seen so much more interest and love for the craft of film making on film again. And the Super yeah. 8 camera last year, the announcement yeah. at CES, has yeah. just driven so much interest for us. And I imagine, you know, that the, the the history of the film plant at Rochester and Kodak is very similar to that of film projection. And I imagine, you know, okay. film projectionists and the folks who manufactured film stock at, at, at your plant uh, have a lot in common. Oh, yes. yes. I would imagine, right? Yes. Very, very much so. Cloth. Sometime you should uh, come and visit. Absolutely. I would love to do that, yeah. yeah. I would love to do that. And, you know, what's going on at Kodak and where you guys are going, I think, is part of this new story. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you're, you know, you're major players now in, in, in how film gets gets re, uh, reinvented. It's exciting. It is very exciting. Excellent. Well, Peter, um, it's been so great to talk to you about uh, everything, really. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh we would love to have you on again, especially as you get this next project rolling and, and things th- things start to take shape there. Oh, that would be great. How's next week for you? <laughs> good, we're good. I'm, um, just, I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about this stuff forever, uh, but this, this, was a, this was a pleasure. And it was lovely meeting you both. Great. Uh, and I, I hope uh, our paths cross again uh, very soon. Indeed. And um, maybe in Rochester. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. It is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.